You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. You guys, I am so excited to share with you my new sponsor, OMG Yes. They have created something truly revolutionary. It's a website, but it's compiled from researching thousands of women trying to get to the bottom of what some of you would consider the mysteries of female pleasure. The website allows you access to tons of different techniques brought to life in beautiful videos of regular women sharing from experience. No blushing, no shame. Get $5 off the newly released season two at omgyes.com slash holly. That's O-M-G-Y-E-S dot com slash holly. Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by hotmovies.com. Do you want a website where you can see it all? One place to stream your favorite movies? One place with hundreds of scenes with your favorite stars? Then you want to visit hotmovies.com. Hotmovies.com is your one-stop shop for all your adult movie needs. They even have a bunch of my movies, like graphic content, my most recent feature that I wrote and directed for Wicked Pictures. The best part is, by using my code HOLLY, you'll get 40 free minutes. No credit card required. So make sure that you visit hotmovies.com and use my code HOLLY for your free 40 minutes. Already a member of Hot Movies? You can still use my code to get an additional 20 minutes free. That's hotmovies.com, code HOLLY, H-O-L-L-Y. You won't regret it. For those of you who listen to Holly Randall Unfiltered on a regular basis, you know that I always try to get a lot of different kinds of people on my podcast, not just porn stars, though. Obviously, we all love the people who make all that porn that we enjoy so much. But today, I'm actually having a journalist on the show, and this is a journalist who works in the adult industry. He writes for XBiz Magazine, one of our biggest trade publications. His name is Gustavo Turner, and he is really somebody who I feel is revolutionizing the way that adult journalism is going. He's tackling some really important and super controversial topics, such as the whole stigma against sex workers on social media, specifically Instagram, as well as the Mercedes Carrera case, as well as basically any topics that touch on the stigma against sex workers. He's a real asset to our industry. He's a fascinating guy. He's super smart and he's got so many interesting stories to share with us. So I'm super excited to have him here. So let's welcome Gustavo Turner to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have a very special guest on. I have Gustavo Turner on. How are you this morning? How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for coming on. So for those of you who are not industry insiders, you may not know who Gustavo is. So, um, But he's become a really, really important part of our industry lately. Um He's a journalist at Expos, and he's been doing reporting on stories in the adult industry in 
a way that I've honestly never seen before. I've been in the adult industry for over 20 years, and a lot of our journalism is press releases or fluff pieces on like how great this studio is doing or how awesome this director is. And I, and I feel like I haven't really seen like real in-depth, serious investigative reporting until you came along. Do you feel like, do you, do you feel unique in that way? Well, I, I joke that, you know, it's not me that I'm being good. I'm just doing the job the way that I see the job to be done, that, that you need to do it if you're going to do it seriously. Um, I mean, maybe the bar has been lower, but I think there's been other people who who do great work. And one of my colleagues, you know, um, J.C. Adams, he has been covering the, the gay side of the industry mm. very, very well for many years. Yeah, his own publication. And he sits on the desk right behind me. So mm-hmm. we have a very diverse newsroom at Expis that where everybody you know, pitches in and we all do it with different approaches, maybe right. or slightly different, but right. I mean, that's the good thing that Alec Helmy did putting the team together is that it's really a diverse team where everybody has their areas, areas of expertise, their beats. And I think that's, you know, that's what a newsroom should do. So right. I, I don't feel I'm doing anything special. I'm just doing what a newsroom should be doing and and the the person allowing for that is is the publisher and the editor in chief who is taking a big gamble of doing things maybe in a way that the industry might not be used to but it it is a good direction for it to go and, and he's definitely you know double down on trying to make a product that is progressive and that it's um unique in the landscape of covering the adult industry. Mm-hmm. So I was covering a little bit, not a little bit, but I, I was writing a lot of articles about the industry for the mainstream press for about five, six years. Right. And I don't think I've changed my approach. Right. It's just that now I have the, you know, the stamp of XBiz, which is an amazing platform to, to get in touch with me. Yeah. I definitely have to say, like, I've been team XBiz for a long time. Um, They've always been really good to me. As I was telling Gustavo before the podcast started, I actually had a column in Expos like ten years ago that I used to write for. Um, so that was uh, that was really fun. Um, but uh, so you know, they've always been like really good to me, and mm-hmm. um, I've, I feel like they're really like pushing towards like a higher um, level of journalism with having you and um, you know some of the other writers on your team. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe let's do a little bit of background on you first yeah. before we get into yeah. all the juicy stories that Although, we have to cover. I did say that when when Holly invited me here, I said, "Look, I'm not the story. I'm the one who tells the story." So you know, we'll 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 go through that quickly. Well, you do have a lot of stories to tell, and we definitely want to get to them. But um, so, how long have you been a writer? And did you? Is it something that you've always wanted to do? Well, I was. I've, I've been. I consider myself a professional writer in the sense that I started getting paid for my writing 24 years ago. Mm-hmm. So long time, 1990, whatever that is, four? Five? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I've, you know, I'm, I've always read a lot. Mm-hmm. And I started writing pretty much in college. And I started getting paid for writing in college, which mm-hmm. is once you start getting paid for writing, it's very hard to write for free. Right, of course. You're like, totally understandable. The There's a reason I don't do free photo shoots. Correct. Same thing with photos. <laughs> and I'm also a photographer. So yeah. I, I, I have the same feeling, although I feel that 
because I enjoy photography so much, I would do it for nothing. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anybody. But I would, <laughs> I would, for the right circumstance, I would just get out of the house with right. the camera and do it. But writing is so solitary and is so in your head that it, I need, I need the incentive of. It is, you know, and it's, it's funny because, um, you know, as I mentioned, having had a column for Expos before, and I actually, um, my degree is in uh, world literature, and I used to do a lot of writing. Um, there's and, and writing was one of my other passions besides mm-hmm. photography, but writing is so much more difficult than photography because photography is like a collaboration between so many Correct. different things. You've got the model, you've got Correct. obviously yourself, um, you've got the surroundings, and if you're doing a professional shoot, you might have assistants, makeup artists, stylists, like art director, whatever it may be, right? But writing is just you and the pen and, your head and, and the, the paper. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. so for me, like I, I honestly find it um, intimidating. And I used to write a lot, and then I stopped, and I haven't really written in a long time. And I and I want to get back into it. I mean, I want to write a book eventually someday. Doesn't everybody? But I'm I'm kind of intimidated by getting back into the process again because it is just me and my head. And and I think I have a fear of being able to harness those thoughts in a in a concise way, in an interesting way. Yeah, the art of editing is a lost art too. Like you know, if you look at Raymond Carver or like somebody like that, like the stories that that they produced were actually shaped by their collaboration with an editor, for mm-hmm. better or for worse. You know, right. Some people like better the first drafts. You know? mm-hmm. um, but I think that in photography, one of the things that I really love about it, and if you if you let me, I would talk the whole podcast about photography because I, <laughs> it's something I'm really passionate about. Right. Uh, I shoot black and white, and I shoot in a very particular style that I've developed that has very clear influences. Mm-hmm. I love 19th century photography, like really, really old photography. Oh, you can wow. see the influence there right away. Uh, I love Stephen Shore. I love uh, 60s fashion photography. So if you if you if you make a a Venn diagram with very early photography, 1840s photography, mm-hmm. and, and 1960s fashion photography, and then the snapshot kind of style of Stephen Shore, you are like, oh, that's how Gustavo shoots. Mm. But I think there are two types of photographers. One kind who would be, for example, David LaChapelle, they have an idea in their head. Or Annie Leibovitz is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. They have an idea in their head. And a lot of porn photographers who take the shots for the box covers or yeah. the pretty girls are also that type of photographer. They tell the model, okay, art yourself this way because mm-hmm. they're, they have something in their head and they're doing it. Right. The other type of photographer is what I do, which is let's just – see what happens and let's have a collaboration between the model and photographer. And you capture things that are not necessarily more real, but that they have an intimacy. Yeah. I see you can't get the other way. Yeah. So you're Nan Golden is like that. And uh, Diana Arbus is like, yes. Kind of like reportage photography. Like you're getting, you're not really um, manipulating the environment to create what you think there should be. You're, capturing what is there and i agree with you this is a completely different kind of photography and it's a kind of photography that i really admire and i love mm-hmm. i actually have a friend who is who does that he does like a lot of street photography yeah, yeah, yeah street and photography. he's amazing and his stuff is amazing but he's painfully shy he could never direct a model you know the right. way that i do but his style is clearly so different than mine and i'm such and I grew up in such a way you know of directing models and yeah. i'm such a control freak i feel like i couldn't 
I could never shoot the way that he shoots. I could only shoot a staged, prepared, very specific thing. Like I, I you know, and you're amazing at it. Thank you. Like, like your work is. Thank you, but I do fantastic. agree with you. There's two entirely different mm-hmm. mediums of photography that that work for two entirely different kinds of people. So. Um, I don't think necessarily because you're a good photographer at one thing that you could actually do. The, I don't believe that I would be good at say what your sounds like your style of photography is. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's interesting. You know, I have my niche and that works for me, but um, I really can't. Uh, I don't feel like I can venture out of it um, so much. So I was talking to a director of photography for for adult, and I, I showed him one of my pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also I'm a big fan of printing, mm-hmm. and in fact. If there is a PSA in this in this podcast, is that people should print their phone photos. Like mm. there's going to be generations that don't have pictures of their children or their pets or oh their God. loved ones because that's going to vanish at some point. That's going to get corrupted. That's going to get you know tampered with by the cloud. Yeah, uh, you need to print your photos. It's your your so grandchildren need to find a copy of the photo. It's so funny that you say that because you know I've always been obsessed with photos ever since I was a kid, and I have. I counted them the other day. I have 12 photo albums from when I was in elementary school all the way through high school, all the way through college. I printed all the photos I ever took of anybody I see that. that I was friends with. And I just have these huge, I mean, a huge closet full of photo albums. And I like, I stored everything. I mean, yeah. anybody that I was ever friends with, I have pictures of us. But when was the last time that you printed a picture from your phone? Only to frame into like a uh, if I'm giving someone a gift, I don't do right. it anymore. Right. I know, and 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 part of the reason I actually uh, put stuff up on like Facebook is even to just have like an album online that like I can access photos. But I do store my pictures um, onto hard drives, and I do like label them. So I still do it a little bit, but no way in the meticul- meticulous way that I did when I was younger. But think about all the all the models who had used their Instagram page yeah, for keeping records of where, what party they went to, mm-hmm. what their pet was doing, like that, that they personalized their Instagram mm-hmm. page. And suddenly Facebook, the owner company of Instagram, right. decided that they're not, you know, they're going to be deleted with one keystroke. Yeah. And they have no appeal and they have, you know, no explanation that is clear to them as to why they're having that deleted. This is an excellent segue into the first topic that I wanted to bring up, um, one of the stories that you're working on, which is the the Instagram dilemma for mm-hmm. people in the adult industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely a bias there, and there's been you know sweeping deletions of um, adult stars' Instagram, and you've been reporting on it. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about that story and what you've discovered? Yeah, by the time you you listen to this, I mean the people who are listening to it on Patreon right now, they're they're getting a a, a scoop in a sense. But You're getting exclusive, exclusive, <laughs> Holly Randall exclusive. Um, but um, the people listening to this when it gets put out as a podcast, uh, the article would have come out. Uh, you know, in the next. So make sure few you days. go to expiz.com mm-hmm. and read it. Yep. And look at, at the little um, search function and put Instagram there, and then you'll you'll find it. So basically, what's been happening is what I call the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. So there is three separate elements that are conspiring to create this situation that affects sex workers on Instagram. Right. The first element of this is a it's a massive campaign 
that is being waged by religious and right-wing organizations to try to redefine what porn means. And there is a lot of money being dumped into that at a very high level. And this has a lot to do with the Trump administration tax cuts, who, which has freed up a lot of money from a few families in the U.S. who happen to be extremely wealthy, extremely conservative, and extremely religious. Uh, if you want, if you want uh, somebody to symbolize this, you can think about Betsy DeVos, for example, her family, or similar families that operate at that billionaire echelon. Now they have a lot of free cash that the government just handed to them, and it's tax-free for them to contribute to social causes that they want, and the social causes that they want are religious causes. And so you get them getting that enormous tax cut, then using that money to give to organizations that are lying to the public. These are organizations whose agenda is to create a culture where sex is something forbidden and dirty and bad, all kinds of sex, and women's bodies are under control of religious principles. That is their agenda. Mm. Now, they know that if they came out and said, we think porn is evil and we want to control women's bodies, nobody would support them. Right. So you get to frame it in a much more digestible way. Correct. And they find issues uh, that are what they call bipartisan. Mm -hmm. And I have a big problem with, you know, I'm neither conservative nor liberal. I'm, I'm, you know, I lean on liberal issues in a lot of things. But I think that what I call the NPR liberals have a lot to answer for in terms of, you know, for example, Kamala Harris is caucusing with extreme religious conservatives when it comes to sex worker rights. Mm. And these are the same people that she wouldn't be seen anywhere near if we're talking about abortion rights, women's rights, uh, LGBTQ rights. But when it comes to sex workers, she's like, okay, I'm fighting trafficking now. Yeah, because there's still that, that view in the public that sex workers are trafficked yeah. or they are victims and that these women have no agency over their careers. They can't make decisions on their own. That basically no healthy, rational woman would choose Correct. sex work. That's impossible and we need to save these poor women. Correct. Damsel in distress kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah, which which feeds into a whole uh, narrative that it serves both the kind of what 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 sex workers call the white knight narrative of mm -hmm. these guys who support sex workers because I'm going to take you out of that life, which is the oldest you know kind of mm -hmm. you know John trick in the book. It's Captain like Captain Sabaho. Yep. <laughs> and then the other narrative that it serves is the narrative of middle class women, and and I have a lot to say about this because I'm I'm trying to promote the term swell instead of swerf because mm -hmm. swerf is a real thing. They're radical feminists who decide not to support sex workers because they think of sex workers as being dupes of the patriarchy. Can you uh, explain the acronym SWERF to those who don't know? Sex worker exclusive radical feminists. So a lot of people use that term to refer to people who call themselves feminists, but then they say, but I don't think, I think sex workers think that they're making a choice, but in fact, because the patriarchy is all encompassing, they're not actually making a choice. Right. And Andrea Dworkin is the big philosopher oh, of all yes. that. And she's being revived right now by like riot girls and like, there is a big Andrea Dworkin revival. There is a big volume that came out and you can go, you could go to the hippest place in LA and there is readings from that book. 
And it's so problematic because it, it, it's in the realm of radical feminism saying that these women think they're making a choice, but in fact, they don't know what they're saying. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you have swells, sex worker exclusionary liberals, and those are different. Those tend to be middle-class women. Think about Kamala Harris, uh, Kamala, Kam Kamala. Um, um, and what I feel that is behind their opposition to sex work is something very hypocritical, which is that they participate in the patriarchy by being upper middle class or middle class women who are the secondary earners in their family. They marry up the, or they marry a guy who's making more money than they are. Mm. And so therefore the, their identity is tied to their situation as being a middle class woman with a husband mm -hmm. who grew up going to good schools. Mm -hmm. And they feel that the sex worker threatens that. And that, that's as old as the beginning of time. The sex worker is going to take my husband and then I will lose everything I have and my children would not be taken care of. Right. So their defense instinct is very primal. And I think it's more common than swerves mm -hmm. or radical fem. There aren't that many radical feminists. Right. There are a lot. And, and they're very loud. <laughs> and they're very loud. And I like them and I like how they argue about women's rights and all that. But when they're sex worker exclusionary, they are sort of being patronizing to the sex workers. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes people ask me, like, you know, do you think porn is degrading to women? And and I'm, you know, and or they offer that opinion that it is. And I always say, I'm like, you know, that assumption or that question is kind of sexist in its own way because you're automatically assuming women are victims. You're automatically Correct. putting that them in that category. Um, you don't ever hear people questioning whether or not male porn stars are being degraded. No. You know, um, are, are, we have to save the, the male porn stars, you know, because they're considered men and, and so therefore they can make their own decisions and it's kind of cool to be like, fuck a bunch of chicks, you know. Where, Unless they make the decision to be bisexual, in which case they are demonized as much as the other sex work. Right. Yeah. I mean, and actually, um, I've talked to a couple of, of bisexual performers and mm -hmm. they say they get it from both ends, yeah. from the gay side and the straight side. Yeah. Cause the gay side is like, well, you're not really gay. And then the straight side is, well, you're not really straight. So, Cause you got to pick one side or the other, right? You can't possibly. Same thing with biracial. Biracial performers have the same problem. Yeah. They get it from both sides. They get yeah. it from people who are like, you're not black enough. And the people are like, well, you are too black to be in. You know, we to have, not be in an interracial category. Yeah, I just had Ricky Johnson on. We talked about that. Ricky Johnson, Ricky Johnson, Xander Corvus. Which, by the way, I had no idea that Xander Corvus had a black father. I was so surprised because he looks extremely white. Okay, Ricky, Ricky Johnson, Xander Corvus, small hands, and Barack Obama have in common that they are biracial people. That one parent is classified as being one race, the other parent is classified as being another race. And biracials, biracial people, are more problematic to racists than mm -hmm. anything else. A racist can get look. Donald Trump can get along with um, I don't know with Mike Tyson because mm -hmm. he's like, oh, that's a black guy. Mm -hmm. But if you put Barack Obama in front of him, his brain just explodes because he's <laughs> he's the result of that thing he said. Yeah, 
that should never happen. Yeah. Because we so desperately need to stereotype and categorize people and put them in these neat little pigeonholes so we can figure out exactly what we want to think about you and what we want to assume about you and your family and your background and your past and your future and all of that. And I understand people who make IR content because they're business people. Right. And they're like, well, this converts. This Mm -hmm. makes money. Yeah. And they're giving jobs to a lot of people who maybe otherwise wouldn't get them. That is absolutely true. When I've had um, some... uh, male African-American performers on, it's a difficult question to ask them about, you know, if they think that there's racism in the adult industry, because even if they, if they do, they have to be careful about what they say yeah. because they can't be like, yeah, I hate interracial porn. I wish there wasn't any, yeah. I, you know, I'm sick of being fetishized as a black man because those are the jobs that they're getting, you know, and they don't want to lose their income and their jobs. I think that what Ricky Johnson and Xander did when they had that conversation on Twitter a couple yeah. of weeks ago is so brave. Right. I mean, Xander Corvus said something that is... Though, to, to me, be fair, they're both under contract with a big company. But that's good. They're using the privilege to bring up a good conversation. Yes, that I think is that's true. great. That is true. And Xander said something that to me is like, it's so brilliant. He said, my parents are not a taboo. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's, it's just putting in one line and it's like, okay, let's have that conversation. Right. Right. Um, I'm, I'm all for that. I think Twitter is great because it allows a voice to a lot of people. Right. Yes. I agree with you. Um, okay. So we've totally (laughs) got off on a tangent, but it was a really good one. And I'm glad we did. Okay. So back to. I'm chewing ice on the microphone. (laughs) So back to the Instagram war. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so. Perfect storm. Mm -hmm. There are three elements. Mm -hmm. Element number one is this massive, deliberate, conservative-slash-religious campaign. Actually, I hate using the word conservative because these people are radicals. Mm. They're radical fanatics with a a religious um, ideology Mm -hmm. who think that women are subservient to men, women's bodies are something to be controlled, and sex is a bad and dirty thing. Mm -hmm. That's what they believe. Mm -hmm. If you ask them, that's what they'll tell you. Yes. So they're trying to sell a, a fake public health crisis around porn. And they start with Utah because it's easier to get past things passed in Utah. So they, they now got a bunch of states agreeing on a phony public health crisis about porn. There's lots of public health crises in America right now. But porn is not one of them. Right. <laughs> and so they start with that. And then they also use another strategy, which is to say that, all of porn is identical to the trafficking of humans and the trafficking of children. Mm-hmm. So with those two things, they go to Kamala Harris and they go, I mean, these people, I can give you addresses in Washington, D.C., where they have lobbies who like make appointments with Congress people and they show them PowerPoint presentation with like some poor trafficked person who is like obviously extremely traumatized. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, they're like, well, this is just exactly the same as this porn stuff that is going on and we need to ban it. Right. So number one, you have a climate where religious fanatics have a lot of money and they're using it. Mm -hmm. Number two, you have a culture in Silicon Valley that is secretive, that it's in over their head in terms of what, what scope their platforms have. Mm -hmm. So they operate at a worldwide level, but they're subject to laws in specific places, but they're too big to fail And people can sue them for anything. So they've become, the internet was supposed to be this open utopian thing. And now it's just this exclusively closed up thing. Mm -hmm. And so you have a secretive 
um, Silicon Valley culture that also is peopled by a bunch of engineers, which is a profession that tends to skew extremely male, extremely middle class. And so what you have is not a diverse representation in the workforce. You have a culture that supports uh, kinds of misogyny where like a sex worker is seen as a stripper you hire for a birthday party, not as somebody you can have a conversation with. Mm. And the third element is psychopaths and small-time crooks. So when you have the other two things and you don't protect sex workers in your platforms, they're going to be prey of psychopaths like this omit person that has been targeting sex workers Mm -hmm. obsessively Mm -hmm. or people who say, oh, if you give me $400, I can get your account back up. Those are small-time crooks. So it's basically the digital version of Jack the Ripper or the Zodiac Killer, some psychopath who's obsessed with controlling sex workers. Mm -hmm. And then you also have the digital version of a pimp, somebody who says, yeah, you can do sex work, but $400 of the money that you make on sex works is coming to me. Wow, that's really interesting. I've never heard anybody break it down like that, but I absolutely see what you're talking about. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And I've been talking to Instagram directly. Mm -hmm. And the Instagram representatives are not having, they're not waging a campaign against sex workers, but because they want admit the problem that they have because they're worried about lawsuits and they're worried about the fact that their business functions worldwide. And so if somebody complains in Pakistan, then suddenly they're losing one market. Right. And so they're secretive and not acknowledging what's going on at a degree that you wouldn't think is natural. So do you think that a lot of these deletions are happening because people are reporting these people constantly? Or I also read somewhere that it's something about some kind of algorithm or some kind of scanning thing that Instagram has. And if something appears to fit whatever algorithm they have for inappropriate content, it's just an automatic deletion. Or does nobody really know why this is happening? Do you like the Wizard of Oz? Sure. Okay. The word algorithm is the wizard. Okay. It's something that people who are versed in tech or are in the tech industries or run platforms would deploy that word when they don't want to tell you what's actually going on. Mm. So you're like, oh, it's the algorithm. You wouldn't understand. Yeah, because uh, I don't even really understand what algorithms are. And so, I just hear they're responsible for right. everything that makes us mad. Right. And it's not true. <laughs> I mean, like when I talk to Instagram. Mm-hmm. I said, so walk me, like as a journalist, the most basic question you can ask a person is like, walk me or talk to me like I'm a five-year-old mm-hmm. through how what happens when I press this button, mm-hmm. do it. I would okay. do that for somebody, you know, I drive a car, but I don't understand what happens when I press the brake button. So if yeah. I was going to write an article about it, I would talk to a mechanic and say, okay, I do this, then what happens? Right. I asked Facebook, what happens if somebody reports something? Uh I'm saying Facebook because Facebook has swallowed up Instagram right, right. now. So, so it's, it's like the, the same, same company. Yeah. And they're like, well, when somebody reports, it goes to one of 15,000 people we have worldwide. Wow. Uh, human beings. So that's not an algorithm. Okay. It's a human being who's like looking at the report and say, okay, this person has been reported. What's the merit of this? Now I said, wait, when you have 15,000 people, so isn't it, it doesn't it depend on who it falls to? They're like, no, because they don't make independent decisions. They have a decision tree. 
Okay. And so they're like, if there is a, nip, a nipple, is it a male nipple? Then it's okay. It's a female nipple. It's not okay. Blah, 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 blah. They go through the whole. And rule. then does it go up a level to somebody above them and then they no. make a decision? No. No. They make the decision. So I said. So, so the individual person does make the decision. But based on a common policy. So they, okay. they uh, what Instagram and Facebook told me is that they are highly trained. I'm like, who trains them? And they're like, well, we have a training program. And they also, there is an oversight program. I said, okay, so who trains the oversight people and who trains these people? And they're like, well, we have a committee here in Palo Alto where we come up with the training materials. And then I asked, who is in that committee? Are there ethicists in that committee? Is it just engineers? And they're like, well, I'll get back to you on that. Mm. So when you go back and you say, okay, how are these decisions? Why is a male nipple okay and a female nipple is not okay? Right. Who is making that decisions? Right. They freeze if you ask that question. But the thing is, too, is that people's accounts will get deleted. I mean, I know girls that are so careful about what they post and they are not posting nipples. They are, I mean, I know the girls that are even afraid to post cleavage, not posting anything inappropriate, and they still get deleted. I mean, I know girls who've had pictures of like their dogs deleted. Well, imagine this scenario. You're one of these 15,000 people. Right. You have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And you probably know that you have a lot of power. And let's say you're a religious fanatic or you have a close friend who's a religious fanatic and you tell them, look, I'm going to tell you what you need to do if you want somebody like deleted for good. Mm-hmm. And if you couple that with people who are like, I know the inside track to get the account put back up. Mm-hmm. So either people reverse engineer the processes that Facebook and Instagram have set up mm-hmm. or straight up they have corruption in the system. Yeah. And when I ask what is the likelihood that there is corruption in your system, her answer was um, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be happening. But how easy that would be to set Extremely. up. Extremely. So easy. Because you could have a deal with some – if you're one of these people who gets to decide what account should be deleted, you could easily make deals with people, say, okay, you know, you, you can't – you campaign them. You say, give yeah. me $400. I'll put your account back up and you guys split it. I well, mean, and also in moral terms, in ethical terms, when right. you do the lowest common denominator theory, like right. let's just lower this down to the easiest thing. Then you end up with surreal, bizarre things like the latest F8 uh, conference where Facebook presents their products. And mm-hmm. their th- the one that happened last month, they had this French woman step in and say, Oh, we, we now are going to have a crush system. You're going to figure out who's your crush. So they're talking about sexuality and human connections at the level of a 12-year-old from 1962. Wow. You know, it's like, yeah. And you hear this woman and you're like, who are you talking to? Yeah. Like, who is your demographic right now? Right. And the problem is, is that this whole kind of bias and stigma against um, adult industry people and sex workers is like the last acceptable bias to have. Correct. Because if something like this was happening to like people of Correct. color or Correct. anything like that, um, pe- you know, maybe different gender identifications or um, it, it would be, you know, obviously horrific and it would, and it would be, um, and people take notice of that, but it's, you know, it's like, if you're a sex worker, then like you have no support. No, and the and only nobody support, wants to fight for you. No, and that's why it's great that there are organizations like the Sex Workers Outreach Project uh-huh. or or activists, and and Twitter is a great platform because Twitter right now is as as the Wild West, and so right. you can 
actually Twitter because the owner, creator of Twitter is such a complex guy. Mm-hmm. That Jack guy is very, very complex. Zuckerberg is not complex at all. Mm. Uh, but um, Jack from Twitter definitely is somebody who is allowing a lot of conversations to happen in there. Mm-hmm. On all sides. And so it's great that people can actually have these conversations. Yeah, I definitely feel like there's been a lot. I mean, as much as like social media has been a bad thing in one sense, it's been a great thing in other sense. And there's like all kinds of interesting discussions that have happened on Twitter that I think have been really productive as much as there's been ones that have been counterproductive. But well, I met it is a great platform for the exchanging of ideas. I think so. And I met people in the in the press who are maybe of an older generation, and they say, oh, I don't do Twitter. And I'm, I'm like, that's insane. That's like yeah. a musician saying, I don't play electric instruments. Yeah. It's like, it is the thing yeah. that is driving the conversation right now. Right, right, right. And yeah, it's just full of drama and unnecessary stuff, but that's up to you to engage with that or not engage with that. Right. Do you think that there, anything's going to change? In what sense? In the sense of adults having adults performers and people in the adult industry having a safe platform on Instagram or Twitter do you think that we're just slowly getting squeezed and shut out I think there's a bigger battle right now and I think that what you need to bear in mind is that the side that thinks that any expression of sexuality or any expression of female autonomy over their own bodies is wrong that side is spending a lot of money mm. And and it's lobbying politicians and it's doing all these things. So I think more adult performers need to start paying attention to all these resolutions declaring porn a public health crisis because that's the first step to creating a ghetto. Right. And the ultimate goal is not to destroy the sex industry, but it's to put it in their place. Mm-hmm. And once you create – that's why when a lot of performers say, oh, let's create our own Instagram, that's never going to happen. But what you can create is a ghetto. Mm. which is like an area where only sex workers are allowed, mm-hmm. the red light district. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens in red light districts? You get the mob moving in, controlling your income. You get the cops coming in and like hunting you like prey. Mm. And so that's not a solution because that's not what the internet was supposed to be. Right. That's going back and saying, okay, you have the, the, the wholesome internet and then you have the red light internet where people the are. Dark web. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. And that's that's what – because ultimately what I think is happening is that the internet started as – well, the internet started as a military weapon right. in the days of DARPANET. Then in the 80s, it, it became this kind of burning man, cool thing where like everything was going to be okay. People could have their fetishes. And then it became monetized. So people are like, okay, how do we make money about this? Mm-hmm. And now it's going through the phase where it's starting to replicate the outside world. Mm-hmm. So you get digital pimps, digital shakedown artists, extortion, uh, psychopaths like Omid. Mm. Um, if you read Omid, and I, I did it so that you don't have to. I read every single post that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And that guy is a controlling person. Notice that he wants sex workers to be out of Instagram, but he doesn't care if they're on Twitter. Because the whole point is not their sexuality. The whole point is that he controls them like a puppet. Interesting. Sick, sick, sick man. And I'm sure that the internet didn't exist. He would be like Jack the Ripper or the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. 
yeah, it's definitely give people like him a, a good platform to exercise yeah. whatever their personal demons are against other people that they don't even know. That's why I'm upset when people call him a troll. A troll is just somebody who sits in at home and starts internet drama for no reason. This mm-hmm. guy is much more dangerous and he's operating with impunity, which like gives him a kick. That's yeah. what that's what that's what thrills him. Right. It's the fact that nobody can catch him. And he says it again and again and again. You can try to delete me. You can. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then um, we're going to come back and we have so much more stuff to cover. So yeah. stick around. I want to talk to you guys about something that so many of us loathe but so desperately need. Exercise. I'm getting older and I find more and more that it's absolutely necessary for me to not only keep my body healthy, but my mind as well. But who has the time or the money to go to the gym these days? This is why I love this new online program, OpenFit. OpenFit is an incredibly diverse online platform with several different exercise programs. They've Extend Bar, T-30, 600 Seconds, and my favorite, Yoga 52. And each of these exercise programs has tons of different classes within them. Yesterday, I took the 30-minute Yoga Level 2 class, and believe me, I am feeling it this morning. The best part about taking the online yoga class at OpenFit, I can do it on my own time, in my own home, and I don't have to worry about getting a mat in a crowded class or smacking the person next to me because I have no space to stretch out. I get knowledgeable instruction and visual direction right on my laptop, and I can go at my own pace. But that's not the only thing OpenFit offers. They have recipes for healthy meals, blog posts on how to get better sleep, and so much more to help keep you on track for a healthy lifestyle. And with my code HOLLY, you can join me on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Right now, OpenFit is having a 30-day challenge, and they have an offer exclusively for my listeners. Just text HOLLY to 303030 for a 30-day free extended trial where you can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days. This special offer gives you full access to the entire platform so you can find an exercise program that works just for you. Again, text HOLLY to 303030 for this three 30-day trial. The only thing you have to lose is weight. Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by omgs.com. OMGS.com is a website about women's sexual pleasure. When it comes to actual ways women touch themselves or ways partners touch women, there are a lot of myths out there. OMGS decided to do the first ever large-scale scientific research of over 20,000 women ages 18 to 95 about what women find pleasurable. What they found was, of course, women vary in what they like, but there are also lots of shared techniques. Kind of like ingredients people combine in different ways for more pleasure and better orgasms. The site has short videos of all kinds of women sharing and showing these techniques. They have specific illustrations that actually animate so you can get a clear sense of what each technique entails. Researchers from IU School of Medicine found that 95% of women experience pleasure in a way that felt new physically after a month of using OMGS. It's not a subscription site. You pay only once for permanent access to a set of videos and animations. And your payment goes on to fund ongoing research into sexual pleasure. Now, I know a large majority of my listeners are men, so guys, this website is for you too. Learn all kinds of cool ways to pleasure your female partner. 
Whether you're just getting to know somebody new or if you and your partner have been together for decades, there's something here for everyone to learn. Check out the newly released season two at omgyes.com slash holly and get $5 off. That's omgyes.com slash holly. All right, we are back. Um, so one of the things that people were asking me on Twitter when I told them that you were coming on the show was if you had any more news on the death of Violet Rain. Uh, um, I don't at this point, and that, that is the news. The news is that I don't because I was expecting to have some. Okay, so for those of for those people who are not who are listening and don't know who she is or don't know the story, um, can you tell everybody what happened? This happened the first week that I was on the job, so it was like one of my, yeah. You week. came onto Expos, right, and, and like all these horrible things happened. Yeah, it wasn't my fault. I don't think there was synchronicity <laughs> there, but like the day that I started working was the day that it was announced that Bill Bailey had died. Oh, and so sad. That guy was such a sweetheart. Yeah, and people in, all, all over the world, in Mexico and in England, were writing lies about the way that he had died. I know, and that's the thing is that people yeah. like love to speculate over the deaths of other people, and just and then it just gives rise to all these ridiculous rumors that get fed through social yeah. media, and then it just it's just so much nonsense. So, you know, that's why we so appreciate you doing the responsible journalism that you do, and really looking into these stories and finding out the truth. Well, the next step is actually getting. Google to stop shadow banning the the adult press because if you go and look up Mercedes Carrera, which is mm-hmm. a case that I've been following, or or Bill Bailey, you're gonna get like random sexist blogs from England on the search, and you don't get my articles. That's crazy. Yeah. So, um, and I want to talk about Mercedes as well, but yeah. first, let's cover Violet Rain. Violet Rain. Okay, so. Violet Rain was a young performer from Arizona, moved into the industry about a year ago. Um, was quite successful. Uh, she was, I believe, 19 years old, 20 years old. She was very young, moved in after high school, got an agency, started working, moved to a model house. Typical story of girls who come in uh, at that age here. Um, and then earlier this year, around January, she just, you know, like the same as middle-class kids mm-hmm. get to experiment in college. These girls come from a different background and they come here and they're really college age, except that they're not protected by university and they're not Mm -hmm. protected by campus police. So when they're experimenting in the real world, they're actually in LA, they're actually in Hollywood and, Mm -hmm. and they're doing nothing different than what girls do who are upper middle class who go to university. Oh yeah. I mean, but they're not protected. I did so much drugs in like high school and college. I mean, sure. I experimented with almost everything. Sure. And, and, and so she was like a normal 19 year old kid who happened to be in the sex industry mm-hmm. and who didn't have access to those things because of family situations, because of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could see in her social media the process by which she's trying different faces. You know, she mm-hmm. comes in one way, she has a boyfriend in her small town, then she starts, you know, glamming up and going to these clubs and, you know, meeting SoundCloud rappers and YouTube stars and partying in houses where people have money and drugs. And maybe, you know, when she gets in the industry here, maybe, you know, she starts experimenting with drugs, but they're not really strong drugs. And then she goes to a party and the drugs are way stronger, but she doesn't know what she's doing. Mm-hmm. So she. And this is the problem with illegal drugs is that you'd never know the dosage no. of anything. No. And so, you know, you could be. 
getting what and and I don't you don't, don't know what you're doing either. You, don't know you could what be you're, doing Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could be snorting what you think is cocaine yeah. and it could be heroin. Yeah. Or you can be taking Molly and you're, it's actually speed. There's all kinds of things that yeah. happen. So this girl, what we know, the facts of the case, is that on a Sunday night, she went out. And on a Monday morning, somebody dropped her off at a hospital in Boyle Heights, which is an area that is sort of far from where a lot of the clubs are. Yeah. And uh, she fell into a coma. And then one of the industry blogs reported that she had died when, in fact, she hadn't. She was she was hanging on. She was in a coma. Her family came in from Arizona. Uh, they unplugged the machines. She survived that. And then a few days later, she died. And so there was a police investigation. And while she was in a coma, she wasn't technically, a, a, you know, a, a victim of you know, a, a foul play death, mm. but they were looking into it. Mm-hmm. And there was a cop from that area looking into it. And then a lot of rumors started going around that she had been at a party and it was in a private, it was either at a club or a private home. Eventually what the cops started thinking about was that she went to a club in West Hollywood. And after that, she went to a house party in Pasadena, mm-hmm. which is unusual because it's not a place where, you know, generally people in the Valley party in the Valley or right. in Hollywood. Right. And Pasadena is pretty far from Boyle Heights. So the cops were working under the hypothesis that what killed her was the drive between Pasadena and Boyle Heights. So if they had taken her to a hospital closer yeah. to Pasadena, or she would call, have survived. Call 911. Right. I mean, if you call 911, they would Because the person dropped her off anonymously, right? But they found that person who dropped her off. And that person said, I don't know what you're talking about. They, he, didn't, he didn't collaborate with the police. Don't they have his – I mean, how did they find him? Do they have video of him dropping her off? Do they have his license plate? Do you know? I, my sources haven't told me that, but okay. the, the police interviewed that man mm-hmm. and couldn't hold him. Hmm. Okay, so they must have not have had, had the proper evidence to hold him. No, no. He said he dropped her off, but then when they asked him um, where was she before, he would say, um, well, am I free to go? Oh, Okay. So, so uh, the place where she OD'd, right? And we still don't know because of HIPAA, the the law that says that you can't have right. uh, public records. And also the autopsy, I've been trying to follow it, and it's been delayed many times. Hmm. Weirdly enough, so I have contacted the police uh, investigator, the detective that was in charge of this, every week for the last two months. Right. And he has he has stopped getting back to me. Right. Do they know exactly what – so you don't know what drug it was that, that killed her or what was in her system? No, because the autopsy is still – I mean, still I have pending. to check again. Maybe by the time you you, you um, uh, broadcast this, I would have something on the autopsy. But mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been pretty much weekly contacting the coroner's office in L.A. It's funny because when people hear that I cover the adult industry, they're like, oh, is it all boobs and girls? I'm like, no, it's the coroner's office and it's uh, pretty grim. Yeah, it's actually um, – so my best friend died a few years ago, and the it took us forever to get the autopsy results because yeah. – and we were very surprised by that um, yeah. because, you know, in the movies and TV, you get the autopsy results Not the like next that. day. And especially because her death wasn't suspicious. It was natural causes. Right. It took us like six months to get the results. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. What, what, what chills me is that when I was investigating this, I talked to a friend of mine who has lived in LA for a long time. And she said, you know, Gustavo, 
people are fascinated with the Black Dahlia case because they like the costumes and they like film noir. But in Los Angeles, there is a Black Dahlia every week. Mm, wow, that's profound. Oh, my God. So speaking of grim news, mm-hmm. um, let's move on to the Mercedes Carrera case, which was a huge shock and created such an explosive um, diatribe on Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was – I mean, for me, I'm still like – I have a really hard time with it. I had Mercedes on this podcast. I liked her a lot. Um, I worked with her a couple of times. Um, And the only reason that I even knew she had a daughter was because before our podcast, I asked her, as I've asked you, is there anything that you don't want to talk about, you don't want to bring up? She says, I don't want to talk about my daughter because I keep that separate. Right. You know, and I was like totally understandable. I've had plenty of guests who have kids who don't want to talk about that. Right. So we'd never went near that topic. Um, so she and her husband were arrested for, well, here, let me, let me have you tell the details of the case. Cause I feel like you will probably explain them in a much better way than I will. Well, I mean, the only reason why I would explain them in a better way is that because I've compiled all the legal information and right. I had to train myself, uh, on, you know, a very specific venue where they're being tried, which is, uh, San Bernardino County, which is very different from yeah, Los my, Angeles. My boyfriend works in law and he was like, you may as well be in a red state over there. Yes. He's that's like, what they everybody are says. So conservative. It's very, that's like the worst place for, for this to have occurred for them. And, I've actually, you know, I went a few times over there and I have to say the first article I wrote, I stand by everything I wrote, but you can tell that I was in a little bit of culture shock. And Mm -hmm. I told them that like in the the intervening time, I say, well, that article was a little heavy handed on, on the town and the county because I'm coming from LA. I'm coming from the east side of LA, which Mm -hmm. is particularly progressive Mm -hmm. and. I land there and it's like being in a different universe. Mm -hmm. It's a place where like military and cops are worshipped and never disbelieved in any way. Mm. Uh, Where people are very, uh, they say they're libertarian, but they have this total hard on for authority figures. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's very strange. Um, Having said that, I mean, it's a diverse place and there's lots of, of people, the people who work at the at the public defender's office, a lot of them are the progressive leaning people in those towns. So, right, right. Um, it's an interesting place, but I did have culture shock when I wrote the first article, and you can tell that from the article. And I'm not going to rewrite it because I believe that each piece of my writing reflects the time when I was writing it. Right. So I'll acknowledge that you know I don't think any writing is completely unbiased. I think you can try to present different points of view. Right. That's where I was at. Right. So. They were charged. So basically what happened is that they were going about their lives until January 31st. And they didn't have any reason to believe that this was coming. And in early February, I think February 1st, um, the cops barged into the house and arrested them and put them in the West Valley Detention Center, where they are sitting until this day. They've been, that's February 1st. Today we're May 20th. So for March, April, May, uh, three and a half months, they've been sitting there. These were people who were very attached. They have a very peculiar 
very tight relationship and they haven't like seen each other outside of court for three months and a half now. Mm-hmm. She hasn't seen her daughter for three months and a half. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing that struck me is that I didn't think she was getting her constitutional rights about having a fair trial served. She had been assigned a public defender who wasn't meeting with her. So that first article, people perceived that to be very, quote-unquote, pro-Mercedes. I think we should also, too, um, explain to people, because there might be some people who are listening to this podcast who don't know what she was charged with. So she was charged with— So the, with- police, the police came in. Uh, this is what happened. The, the Mercedes has a daughter who is about 9 or 10 years old. The do- she has joint custody with a man that she says she never married. I haven't been able to check out her actual marriage status because Mercedes says that that guy, she refers to a guy as the child's father and she refers to Jason, who's her main partner, as my husband. I haven't been able to certify that that's actually accurate. Okay. And a lot of the problems we cover in the Mercedes story is that a lot of the things that she says about herself is not verifiable. Okay. Okay. She also has her legal name is fairly common. Right. So it's hard to, whenever somebody has a legal name that is fairly common, it's yeah. hard to, you know, do the rabbit hole investigation right. that I generally do. In any case, they were at home, police came in, and the, the way they came in is that she was supposed to get her daughter back from a visit, like a time where the father had her. Mm-hmm. And the police called her from downstairs and when she came down, the father texted her from downstairs. When she came down to get her daughter, suddenly all these cops come into the house mm-hmm. and start questioning them and taking all their hard drives where she's done her adult content and mm-hmm. all that. And eventually they, they were charged with nine charges, seven of which are uh, a, a sexual of a sexual nature. One is about... Possession of narcotics, and one is about possession of firearms. Mm-hmm. So seven sex charges. Regarding specifying to her daughter? No. In the charges, they don't specify anything. So wait. Okay, hold on. Mm-hmm. I thought that the charges were, like, they, they don't mention the daughter. Isn't there, like, no. digital penetration? Okay, okay. So so you, you have to get into the nitty-gritty of the legal system. And for some people, this is fascinating. And I, I definitely had to, like, uh, you know, parse it very carefully. But when you get arrested, cops need a search warrant based on something. And then right. they're going in to find more evidence. After right. they gather all that, then they hand that over to the DA and the DA draws up the charges. Right. In this case, what's interesting is that the cops, when they gather all their evidence, then they put out a press release where her mugshot and the yeah. mugshot of her husband. Right. And the press release was completely inaccurate in so many ways. The press release ways. doesn't match the, what the DA said. Right. And I've interviewed the cop twice. And I have not been able to get in touch with the DA, but there is a discrepancy there. Well, first of all, they um, named her husband the wrong name. They named Jay. They named another um, photographer, director in the industry who is not the same person. So that was like a huge, huge mess. I feel that at this point we're talking very inside baseball and we're talking to people who are familiar with the case. So if you're not familiar with the case, go to xbiz.com and look up Mercedes Carrera on the search button and you're going to get the four or five articles I've written on the subject and you can get a background on this. But basically, if I'm trying to explain this to somebody who doesn't know it, Mercedes was a performer, have been around for about five years. 
uh, her husband or partner, Jason, they lived together. They were creating a lot of content in their house. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a website called uh, Operation MILF where they were trying to combine veterans who wanted to be in the adult industry uh, to shoot with her. Right. Um, and on February 1st, they were both arrested. And there was on February 4th or 5th, they put out a press release saying with their mugshots saying that they had been arrested for sexual molestation. And then they also said drugs and guns charges. Right. Uh, this uh, six, um, the seven sexual molestation charges, six are of molestation. One is of penetration, which is the highest thing you can be accused of in, okay. the, in sex crimes. Right. Um, they they identify a date for the beginning of this, which is around July 4th, 2017. When they say that this activity started. started. Okay. And then the cops said that their activity went on for a few months, but the DA said that it kept going on until now. And I can't tell why there is that discrepancy. I actually pointed that out to the public defender mm-hmm. who hadn't looked at that. Yeah. Um, and so the short version of the story is that nobody got Mercedes's point of view until a month later when I went in, uh, a month and a half later, when I went in and interviewed her in prison. Which was like such a groundbreaking thing to do because, you know, and I, as I mentioned before, I mean, the internet went completely insane and so many people and look first of all like let me just say for people who like it who it's not obvious to because some people are just (sighs) read whatever they want to read into it obviously child molestation is a fucking horrible thing absolutely and if that is indeed what happened and she engaged in that then you know we're horrified and she should be prosecuted and all that kind of stuff but what makes me crazy is how people so quickly are just willing to absolutely just jump and on and vilify somebody without any actual facts, right? I mean, just the adult industry went crazy and everybody's, you know, just like these people who I think she thought were friends just immediately were like, okay, this is definitely true and, you know, she should go to hell and this and that and just like – it was so incredibly aggressive as opposed to, you know, and there were so few people that took a step back and said, let's just like wait and see what happens because we don't know all the facts yet. We haven't heard her side of the story. And those people who tried to be like the voice of reason, like Julia Ann or Brad Armstrong, everyone was just like, you love child molesters. You're a horrible person. I mean, I had my interview with her up on YouTube, right? And obviously I interviewed her like six months before this happened. Mm -hmm. So clearly, you know, I can't tell the fucking future. And I had comments um, of people saying that one person in particular said that I was going to hell because I had interviewed her six months ago. How could I give voice to a child molester? He was going to report me to YouTube, get my channel shut down, and I may as well have molested her daughter myself because I interviewed her six months ago. Did you block them? It was cr- – I actually hid the video for a while because the comments ah, that I was getting yeah. – they were out of control. Like I, ha- I had to just like I didn't delete it. I just hit it because I couldn't take. Like I was just constantly like monitoring it. It was just it was too vicious. So I was just like, I'm not going to delete it. I'm just going to hide it for now. Let the fucking world calm down. Um, and are, you, then, are you happy with that decision? 
I am. Okay. I am. I'm not saying that I won't put it. And and by the way, I didn't delete my podcast right. audio version of it. You can go listen to that right now. It's still right. up. So um, the visual of seeing her talk is well, what was triggering. People. And also, too, people can comment on YouTube like easily. And mm. YouTube is just a festering cesspool of trolls. <laughs> Uh, the most aggressive and the meanest comments I get are always on YouTube. Always, 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 by far. Interesting. I hardly ever get nasty ones on Instagram or Twitter, but YouTube, I'm like, it's crazy. Anyways, um, and then you came in and you actually did some research and you wrote a very informative and I thought fair and balanced article. And only after you published that did some people come out and say, okay, like – you know, all right, here's some sense, here's some some background, here's some backstory. Let's all like let's take a breath and let's um maybe I don't know, consider the possibility that there could be another side to the story. The thing is is that we just don't know. And people are so quick to just immediately vilify yes. others. It's just it's crazy to me. Well, there are I mean, there are two things there that that I get out of all that. Like one is uh, I I've been paid to write different forms of journalism, different forms of writing for 24 years. And I've never had something happen like what happened with that article, which is a few weeks ago, this gentleman contacted me from the San Bernardino Public Defender's Office. Mm -hmm. I said, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm the new public defender. And we're reading your articles. And one of the reasons why her former public defender was reassigned was because they read what I wrote, which is that she wasn't getting a fair trial. Mm -hmm. And it, you you see that in the movies, but it doesn't very often. It doesn't happen in reality That's very often. Amazing. That article got her better, not you know the same as she would have if she was paying for a lawyer, which are very expensive. Yes. And some of her friends are trying to get her a lawyer, but it's very expensive. Uh, but at least she has a public defender who's on the ball, right? And uh, and 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 the article helped. To do that, which is great. That's what the press is for. Right. And so that made me feel good about having done that story. On the other hand, people said, oh, so now you're team Mercedes because you wrote something that was uh, fair to her. I have to say this on the record. Today is my May 20th. Uh, they haven't even had pre-preliminary uh, uh they haven't had preliminary trial date set up, like preliminary where you have to establish that there is – you don't have to establish reasonable doubt. You have to establish probable cause. Right. So people have to believe that it's probable that this may have happened and then she goes to actual trial. Right. That date hasn't happened yet because they've been kicking it forward because she can't hire a lawyer. Right. Something may change by the time you hear this. But as of today, May 20th, I don't know what happened with her, her husband, her daughter, their house – I've interviewed a lot of people. I've interviewed 11 people who knew her very well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what happened. Yep. I wrote a second article that people perceived, wait, I thought you were Team Mercedes, but this article paints them as like eccentric weirdos. Yeah, people just want you to pick a side. Yep. Yeah. And I said, look, I'm telling you what I'm reporting. I'm doing it as I'm going along. Yeah. I know as much as you do, and I'm, I'll tell you what I know. Right. Now, having said that, what guides me in this coverage are two things. One is the welfare of the child. There is a child who's a living human being who's yeah. living this life, and she needs to be protected. And if it's dangerous for her to be with a father that put her mom in jail under false pretenses, mm -hmm. that needs to come out. 
or if she has been abused by her mom or her, her partner, that needs to come out too. It's like, it's either way, it's so, this whole situation is so awful for the child. Terrible. And it's just so terrible. And I feel so, so bad for her. Terrible. And then the the other thing that is guiding me is that I want everybody to get due process. I mean, you know. I'm, That's what this country is supposed to be about. Correct. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a naturalized citizen. So I'm somebody who chose to be a citizen of this country. And we get a lot of crap talked about like immigrants. I'm, I'm a legal immigrant. I'm a naturalized mm. citizen. And my love for America and due process, I would argue, is it's higher than somebody who was born here and takes it for granted. I chose this this set of rules. Yeah, I think you make a good point there. Yeah. And and so I, I will try to get people to have – a lot of people get disenchanted and they're like, well, that's the way government is. Well, she got shafted. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I, I don't think it should be that way. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just can't help but imagine what it would be like, I mean – to just be in that situation where you're stuck in jail and you don't have any support and you don't have the money to defend yourself. And you're just, I mean, did you say that she's in her cell for 23 hours a day? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's just unfathomable. And she's wearing a uniform that, that, that points her out as like a special kind of prisoner. So all the prisoners are wearing orange, like in orange is a new black, but right. she and her husband or her partner, they wear green. Right. And the other prisoners know that the green people are like people who are baby killers or whatever. And they, they like target them for harassment. Jesus Christ. And I, she's been living that reality for three and a half months. That's just so crazy. Now, one of the things that um, a lot of people brought up is that she was held without bail. Yes, and that and why do you think that is? It's and some people argued it was because they had substantial evidence to keep her in there without bail. Do you think that that is true? Or that depends you- on the venue. So in San Bernardino, they love cops. They'll believe anything a cop says. Okay. So I talked to the policeman twice. He was very nice. Everybody that I interacted with over there was very nice, except Mm -hmm. for the first public defender who I believe is a guy who started off with like liberal leanings and then got ground down by the job. Yeah, I can can imagine. And uh, he was not doing a good job and he was being complicit in her not getting a fair trial. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad he's gone. Mm -hmm. The new guy is like just – what you would expect of a public defender, which is not, you know, maybe not the best legal advice in the world, but he's thoroughly competent. Right. Um, the cops gave, handed evidence over to the DA. Mm-hmm. That evidence, I would say, I have to be careful because I like to be accurate, but I, I think, I as a reporter think that that includes video evidence of some kind. Mm-hmm. They did seem to allude to that in the press release. When they got those hard drives, they – and so I asked the cop two questions not that long ago, maybe a few weeks ago. I said, do you still think there are other victims? And he says, yes. Oh, Jesus. And then I said, do you still think after three months and a half that you have enough evidence to convict them of the the charges as charged? Meaning – Meaning – a lot of people in the industry say, well, what if like maybe she – the kid can be seen in a BTS. Like she wasn't guarded from when the, whenever they were shooting in the house or whatever. Right. The, that's not what the charges say. The charges say straight up molestation. That's and crazy. the cop said yes. Now I talked to 
several attorneys who have tried cases over there, and they're like, yeah, cops will always say yes. Well, and, and cops are trained to just answer to journalists, like, absolutely, 100%. Like, yeah, I suppose a cop isn't going to, you know, admit that he's not really quite sure, and they may have, you know, balls this whole thing up, and maybe they made a mistake. I mean, I guess that's that's what a trial is for. They're not used to the level, to this level of scrutiny. I can tell you that much, and especially from a, from an outlet that is from Los Angeles, they're not used to that. They're mm-hmm. used to running their own their own press, right. their own cops, their own courthouse. Right. Do you feel that? So, do you feel that they've been receptive to you, or have you? Do you feel like you've been stonewalled a lot? No, neither. I think they. I think they're welcoming the fact that. You know they're 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 playing fairly with the press the way that they would play with other people, but they're a little bit shocked that they're a little bit shocked that people are paying attention because again, sex workers are thought to be disposable, and like right. if you go after one, nobody will stand up for them, and right. definitely not somebody who you know would spend uh, you know experts has been paying for my for my um, gas and for like all the expenses of going there you have to invest on journalism to get good journalism you can't do it from twitter right and they weren't expecting that at all do you have a personal opinion at all at what happened no 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 and 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 that's i think that's bad for them for 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 jason and mercedes because yeah. they would want me to say absolutely no it didn't happen but i yeah. i really don't know um, there is enough troubling stuff about the last six months before that 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 just makes me say, well, if I could interview eleven people who paint a certain kind of pe- picture, uh, a, a DA with a subpoena could interview more people than that, or even right. those people. So the eleven people that you interviewed weren't necessarily positive interviews vouching for her. You can read my second article, and then you'll can make up your mind. Okay. Yeah, it's it's so hard to say because it's like on one hand, you know, I like so many other people, you know, want to believe that it's not true for for several reasons. Obviously, mostly for the child, you know, because yeah. you never want to imagine that a child was subjected to anything like that. That's so horrible. And then, you know, secondly, as a person, from what I knew of Mercedes, I liked her, and um, she seemed to be, you know, an intelligent um, girl. I thought she was a I thought she was a good representation for our industry. But you know the truth is is I don't really know her. Um, Mercedes is, is a very interesting character because if this situation had happened to anybody else, it would be a different story. But mm. Mercedes is a creature of Twitter. Mercedes was invented by Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mercedes came into the industry in 2014, and within three months, she had created a charity had started getting mainstream press as a porn star. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in the business, you know. If you have four scenes, if you shot, she shot a lot in the first couple of months, but she had like four scenes out by the mm-hmm. time when she was trying to get press from Vice and BuzzFeed mm-hmm. as a porn star. Mm-hmm. And the main reason is because she looks like the stereotype of what mainstream thinks a porn star is. Mm-hmm. She came in older into the industry and she was like a ready-made MILF. She like came in like all, she never went through a starlet phase. Mm-hmm. And then here's what I found that is super interesting. When you do the timeline, she comes in in 2014. Now, people have short political memories, but in 2014, that was the midterm election in the middle of the second Obama administration. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge propaganda campaign to discredit liberals, particularly on the Internet. And the main proposition of that campaign was something called Gamergate. Right. Now, two months before, 
Mercedes had given an interview saying that she was not interested in games, that somebody was just showing them to her and like that was not her thing really. We're talking about gaming like video games. Yes. Okay. And so two months later, she becomes like the poster porn star for like the right-leaning gamers on the internet. Mm-hmm. And so, so her, her attempt to project herself as a big figure was problematic from the beginning. And Gamergate was based on her saying, look, not all porn stars are progressive. Look, I, I'm libertarian. I'm a, I'm a bleeding heart libertarian. And just projecting herself as a controversial Twitter figure. Right. And I think that was part of her undoing on Twitter. I agree. I think a lot of people who, you know, were already arguing with her because she liked to, you know, be controversial on Twitter and she liked to debate with people on Twitter. And I think the people that she argued with were just, you know, out for blood the minute this news came out. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, for them, it, it, you know, proved everything that they already had thought about her. But when I look at her statements very closely, you can't find anything that is a political commitment other than the fact that she loved, ironically, she loved cops and she loved soldiers. That's, that's the, the one through thing in the whole thing. Yes. But other than that, she's not an ideologue. She's not particularly conservative. She's not particularly libertarian in the strict sense of the word. Mm -hmm. She's more like, I am going to be the pinup girl for the right wing. Mm -hmm. And she got it. (laughs) She, for better or worse. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The whole thing is just so crazy, and I guess all we can, any of us can do, is just wait and see, you know, what shakes out. And um, have I mean, you ever served on a jury? Oh God, no. You should. It's oh, a good. No, thank you. It's a good experience. No. <laughs> I mean, I've done jury duty, but I've yeah, never yeah. been selected. No, you should. You, if you can. Well, take, it's not up to me to get selected, anyways. Well, if you can take a few days and like. You know, just serve on one. It's very, it's a very healthy experience as a citizen because you actually realize that juries are not that. Juries are not that dumb. Yeah, like they, they really, there is a, a consensus that can be formed there that it's actually people you know, want to do a good job when they're... Well, I mean, that's the thing. That's why it's not so easy to get out of jury duty because, you know, if if you could just um, say you're too busy or you got too big of a business or you could mm-hmm. just smart your way out of it, then you'd only have the unemployed and the idiotic on a jury and you don't want that. So the government is very good at making sure that it's like impossible to get out of jury duty because believe me, I have tried. <laughs> yeah, well, and, 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 and I, you know, I think that Maybe, again, that's something else that I, as a naturalized citizen, I see it as, as a right that I have, not an obligation. Yeah, yeah, I get to help decide complicated cases where there is conflict or where somebody's being accused of something. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I think it is too. And it's that's very noble of you. And I, and I will admit to being somebody who was born in this country that I definitely see it as an obligation. And yeah. I do not want to serve on a jury. And I always want to get out of it. And I'm always so happy when they send me home. And that is um, that is selfish on my part, but I can't help it. <laughs> you learn a lot about the process, and if you can picture yourself on the other side of the process, you say, "What? What if I'm wrongly accused of something? You want somebody like you or me on the right? Jury. Yes, yeah. yeah, that is true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, you know, it's so awful. And and here's, you know, and I have a story, and this is kind of part of the reason why. You know, I I hit pause on, you know, automatically assuming Mercedes was guilty until proven so is that we had an incident happen, you know, with, with my family when I was younger. So, you know, my mom is Suze Randall and she's been great photographer. Thank you. 
Um, she's been an erotic photographer and director, you know, ever since before I was born. And uh, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And um, once when my sister, my, my sister's the youngest, when she was still a minor, some hysterical neighbor or mm-hmm. somebody who, you know, didn't like my mom or didn't like what she did for a living, whatever it was, called social services on us, uh, saying that my mom was shooting porn in the house in front mm-hmm. of my underage sister. Mm-hmm. Of course, completely untrue. Um, but social services had to come out. They had to come investigate and they did interview my sister and they interviewed my mom. They saw that it was clearly a completely bogus claim and, um, you know, they, they left and, and we never heard anything else about it because it was totally untrue. But I mean, just the accusation was just horrific. And so I'm just saying that stuff like that does happen, whether or not it happened in this Mercedes case. We just don't know. Um, I'm, you know, not saying that she's guilty or she's innocent. I, I really don't know. But I just, my only thing is that I, I, I would just caution people to just pause and just um, wait until you know the evidence comes out and. Um, and that, you know, she, like every other American, should have a fair trial. And follow the case. I mean, this is not a plug, I swear, but follow the case on XPS because I will go there to every hearing and I will report what it's actually legally happening. And you're not going to get that from the mainstream press. No. And it's been, and it's been such a godsend what you've been doing um, because, you know, you've really brought um, some, some, real like sensibility into it and some rationality that that was sorely needed because people were just jumping to all kinds of conclusions and there was so much misinformation going yeah. out there and it's so important you know to to really try to get behind what's actually happening and yeah and thanks responsible reporting is is so important and um you know i i thank you and i know a lot of other people in the adult industry um thank you as well but so. i couldn't do it without the platform of xbiz i mean like that really what what alec helmy and the whole team are doing right now is they're they're stepping into unknown territory because they're committed to try to differentiate xbiz uh in the in the market of of news about adult as some something that does this and it does cost money and time you know i have other duties that are much more mundane in the office mm-hmm. And I thank my coworkers. You know, I, I work with uh, Zoe Tamara, who is like a, you know, she's a great features writer and, and a reporter too. And uh, JC Adams and um, uh, Ariana Rodriguez, who does all the sex, uh, the sexual health products. And Alejandro Freixas, who is a fantastic features writer. And he, the print magazine that we do, which is a luxury, they, it wouldn't happen without Alejandro. It can't happen. He's the only person who can actually put that together. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Steven Yegalovich, who has been in the industry for a long time, and he covers all the technical aspects. Uh, and then Mo Helmy does the, the award events. I love Mo. Uh, everybody loves Mo. I love Mo. Everybody loves Mo. Hi, Mo. You, you, Mo, you my man. Yep. Everybody <laughs> loves Mo. There should be a sitcom. But I don't know. I, I actually, I found in the office, somebody made a mug with Mo's I want face. a Mo mug. Everybody does, and he's so mortified because he hates that. But like people have, people want a Kickstarter for the Mo mug. So if you're listening to the, this podcast, just tweet that you want the Mo mug. For uh, he would love that. Everybody gets one for Christmas. Yep. Uh, swag. Mo swag. Um, yeah, well, I mean, what Expos is doing is, is really great. I mean, adult industry press has for so long, like I said, 
you know, at the beginning of the podcast, been either press releases or fluff pieces and all of these kind of unpleasant stories, which are, look, pervasive in every single industry, which are far from perfect, um, usually get swept under the rug because it doesn't look good. And then you get like these blog sites, um, with these kind of, you know, rogue bloggers, um, taking on these stories and that's, and that's all you get. But like the mainstream, um, adult media press like expos, mm-hmm. um, you know, those that they would never touch those stories. I'm so not it's against, really great that they are. I'm not against the blogs. I know they're annoying to a lot of people and they are self-consciously annoying, but the problem was that there wasn't anything to check them against. Like with right. the Violet Rain story, one of the blog sites said she's dead. Yeah. And I went in, I, I actually went to the hospital. I went mm-hmm. to Ball Heights and, and I fear I will. No, she's in a coma. Yeah. Um, but they serve a purpose because they tend to gather a lot of gossip and rumors that sometimes have a basis on truth. And so yes. if you can have a real journalistic operation checking them, I'm actually friendly with some of the people who write for those blogs. Mm-hmm. And I, I always ask them, like, why are you doing this? What, what, what's the calling on this? And, you know, they're coming from different angles that we're coming. But yeah, it's a big tent. Yes. It's a big tent. Yes. Well, we so appreciate your part your part, um, Gustavo, and thank you thank so you. much for coming on. Um, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Okay, so my work Twitter is Gustavo Xbiz, G U S T A V O X B I Z, and uh, that's my uh, work Twitter. And then my Instagram, where you can see some of my photos that I've been talking about, is uh, Gustavo Turner, all one word. And, um, yeah, and you can find my personal Twitter and all this stuff if you go to my work Twitter that way. And make sure that you guys go to xbiz.com to read all of his articles. He's been covering so many different topics, and you can find all of the backstory on the Mercedes story that we spoke about, the Violet Rain story, the Instagram situation, um, the public health crisis. There's so much going on in the industry right now, and you've been covering it in such a – amazing fashion there is a, an exclusive interview that is coming out tomorrow and so maybe so by the time this podcast comes out it'll be out already yeah and it's um it's one of the most interesting pieces that i've been working on about a different subject that concerns um a, 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 an adult performer who has been out of the industry for a while and is facing some discrimination right now oh wow yeah all right can't wait it's a good piece and you guys can follow me at Holly Randall on Twitter and on Instagram. If you have any comments or questions, you can email me at hollyrandallunfiltered at gmail.com. Also visit my website, hollyrandallunfiltered.com to find out more. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. If you like my podcast, please make sure to give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps me a lot. If you're not listening to me on the iTunes platform, then you can support me in so many other ways. Um, first of all, obviously, I would love it if you would join my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered, where not only will all of the donations that I get go towards making this podcast better, but also I offer really, really cool perks in exchange for your support. Um, don't forget that I have a new podcast called My LA Porn Job that I am doing with my assistant Eva and it is fucking hilarious and it is available only on my Patreon for only $5 a month. So that's 
pretty, pretty cheap. And I promise we will make you laugh and we'll give you even more insight into this fascinating business that I work in. You can also join my Facebook group, go to facebook.com slash groups slash Holly Randall Unfiltered to get access to other exclusive news about the podcast, as well as just join our community. Don't forget too, that I videotape all of my podcast interviews and you can access all of those at my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash C slash Holly Randall Unfiltered. You can also email us hollyrandallunfiltered at gmail.com. Or if you want to leave a voicemail to maybe ask a question for one of my upcoming guests or just leave a comment or tell us a crazy story or anything that you want to say, you can call us at 424-216-6967. So please send us an email, leave us a Facebook message, leave us a Patreon message, um, leave us a voicemail, and we will maybe get back to you on the show, Um, especially the new podcast that I'm doing with Eva, My LA Porn Job. We'll definitely be uh, responding to some of your messages. And overall, we just want to hear back from you guys, want to know how we're doing, what you love about the show, what you hate about the show, who you want to listen to, All of that feedback is super valuable to help me make this show the best that it can be. One last piece of news. I plan on going to the 2020 AVN convention in Las Vegas, and I'm going to bring you this podcast live from the show floor. So that's another reason why I need your financial support, because that's going to be a very expensive trip for me. And um, I'm definitely not making the kind of income from the show yet to cover it, which is fine, but I hope to eventually get there one day. And with your help, I hopefully will. Next week on the podcast, we have the petite and oh so sweet Jane Wilde on the show. Jane Wilde is a girl who's fairly new to the adult industry, but she's really taken it by storm. She does some pretty crazy intense scenes and she's able to fit some really large penises inside her tiny, tiny body. But she's also um, somebody who's very open about the struggles that she faced coming into the industry and some of the struggles that she still faces in the industry. And we always appreciate people who come to the show with that level of honesty. So we're very excited to have Jane Wilde on the show next week. So make sure that you come back and tune in for that.